Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Well, good morning. As Scott said, I'm Dave Martinke, and it's a pleasure to continue this uh, message series on Christmas presents. Today, we're going to focus in on one of the names of Christ. We hear this name very often during the holiday season, during the Christmas season, and it's Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. As I think of Christmas presents, I have to be honest with you. One of the greatest passions of my life, one of the greatest passions of my life is to experience the presence of the Lord. I enjoy it. I, I, I yearn for the presence of the Lord. Um, I seek the presence of the Lord. There's times when the Lord has felt so close to me in my life. I can remember times at an altar where I've prayed and just sought the face of God, and I almost felt as if he was kneeling beside me. I can think of times in my life when I was with a patient who was slipping from this life until the next, and I was holding their hand in the last moments of their life, and the presence of the Lord was so evident. I can think of a time when when I was with patients who, who I had to deliver very difficult news, news that they didn't want to hear. They only had a few months to live. And at that moment, I sensed the presence of the Lord, so intimate at that time. And so it's becoming my life that I seek the presence of the Lord. It's my passion. But my second passion is to help others experience the presence of the Lord too. And that's why I'm excited to share with you this morning about what it means to have Christmas presence. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to show you a picture of something. I'm going to ask, what is this? What is this? A little louder? Advent wreath, sure. Of those present this morning in the auditorium, who has ever celebrated Advent at some point in time during their life with an Advent wreath? Raise your hands loud and proud. There you go. All right. Um, Advent. Well, the reason why I'm showing an Advent wreath is because in my life, very often what I do is I look back at a tradition or at a history, if you will, and that helps me chart my course for the future. But by looking back, it helps give me perspective so that I can more clearly see the future. And that's why I'm sharing this Advent wreath with you. Church Universal has celebrated Advent for over 2,000 years since the, the death of Christ. It's a time when, uh, which is composed of the four Sundays immediately prior to Christmas. Uh, it's observed amongst uh, Christendom as a time of prayer and of fasting. It's borrowed from the medieval uh, Latin term uh, Adventus, which means arrival or appearance. It's when we remember, we anticipate, and we prepare for Christ's arrival. But did you know that the arrival of Christ only did not just happen 2,000 years ago? There are actually three arrivals that we can anticipate in the Christian life. The first arrival was when Christ came to earth in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, a baby born in a manger. And that's what we're celebrating next Saturday. But there's a second arrival of Christ, and that's when you receive Christ into your heart. And by his spirit, he dwells with you 
throughout your life. That's Christ's second arrival. Christ's third arrival is often called the second coming, and that's when uh, Christ returns to join his church, the people who, who have already died and those that are alive who will join with him and go to a new heaven and a new earth. What a wonderful thought that will be. And so today we're going to focus on these three arrivals of Christ. Let's do so by jumping into Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You can find that on your device, or if you don't have your device or your Bible with you, you'll be able to read along with me as I read, starting with Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that means they were engaged, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, jo Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear you a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as we unpack these verses this morning... I'm going to give to you three points that you're going to remember on my message. As a matter of fact, I think I might even come up to some of you this morning after my message, and I'm going to ask you if you remember these three points. You'll be able to do it, because all three points are exactly the same except for one word. All three points exactly the same except for one word. So let's dig into the first point. My first point is Emmanuel, God with us, Past. Emmanuel, God with us, past. And this is taken from Matthew, uh, the 23rd verse, which actually comes from Isaiah, the 7th chapter, the 14th verse. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Now what's the context or the backstory of this verse? You see, the king of Judah was facing two other kings and their armies were coming against him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had two armies coming against me, I'd be a little nervous. So these two other kings' armies are coming against the king of Judah. And he's getting nervous. He doesn't know, am I, am I going to win this battle? Am I not going to win this battle? What should I do? So he goes to Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, tell me, am I going to win the battle? Isaiah says, yes, king of Judah, you're going to win the battle. But then the king of Judah says, well, can you give me a sign? Can you give me a sign? And then Isaiah says these words in verses 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. What's amazing in this prophecy is that it occurred 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now let's put that in context for a second. Just, 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 just play with me for a second with your minds. Let's say there's this monk, 
Yeah, let's say there's this monk, and this monk lives in the Middle Ages, in the Middle Ages, and he lives in a monastery, secluded, way off by himself, way off by himself. He's in this dark and dingy monastery in the Middle Ages, and all this, in the year is 1320, and all this monk is doing is copying scripture day after day after day after day. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he prophetically writes, he gets excited, and this monk starts writing down, 700 years from now, there will be a great pandemic over the face of the earth. It'll be called COVID, and thousands of people will die. Wow. If we found that now, we'd say, wow, that monk must have been hearing from God in 1320. Holy cow, to predict 700 years later, a pandemic that's globally affecting our earth right now? That's the magnitude, if you will, of Isaiah's prophecy. 700 years before Christ's birth. Now, up until Christ's birth, if you were, wanted to worship God, the way you would do it is you would have to go to the temple. I'm going to show you a picture of Solomon's temple. There's the outer wall. There's the outer courtyard where you or I would go and take our sacrifice. We'd give it to the priest, and then the priest would go to the inner courtyard to offer the sacrifice, and only once a year, only once a year, would the high priest enter the Holy of Holies within the center back of the, of the temple that you see before you. Only once a year. God's presence would be entered only once a year by only the high priest. You or I would not have the opportunity for entering the presence of God as the high priest did once a year. But you see, that all changed with Emmanuel. God with us. Because at that time, God becomes present. He's no longer viewed as being distant or far, but he comes present. God, present ages past through eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity, sends his son to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago to be born to a virgin, to be delivered in a stable, to be placed in a feeding trough. God becomes personal. As I thought about this, I said, to, I said to myself, wow, this is a really good time to come up with some movie analogy. S Scott uses movie analogies. Now, I gotta come up with a movie analogy. And then I realized, I turned to Daryl, I said, Daryl, do you realize like whenever Scott gives a movie analogy, like I never saw any of those movies, never. Like, like now. Like, not one. Like, even not the one, like, Groundhog Day or something like that, which I, like, like, I didn't never, never watch that. I don't know anything about that. So I'm thinking, like, what do I do? I don't watch movies, except for Hallmark. I'll confess that. Which really annoys my story group, but that's another story. But I do remember watching a reality TV show once. It was a few years back. And that reality TV show was called Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I watched a few episodes. And if you look at the next picture, what happens in Undercover Boss, if you've never seen it, is you've got this executive, and he's the CEO of this big company, maybe thousands of employees. He's making millions of dollars. He's got the fancy suit. He's a real rich dude. He's at the apex of the, of the organization, totally in charge, all the power. But he says, I want to get to know my rank-and-file employees but I can't walk in in this beautiful suit as the CEO of the company, I know I'll put on a disguise. 
So he puts on a wig, he puts on makeup, he changes his clothes, and he kind of becomes the normal Joe. He enters the company at the ground floor, maybe as an assembly line worker, maybe as a janitor sweeping the floor, cleaning the toilets, or maybe even as one of the individuals working on the fast food line or in the drive-through. And he wants to experience the people and his company firsthand, ground floor. That's what Christ did as he left heaven and came to earth, personal, entering humanity. But he does so not as the CEO of the company. He does so not as the king of kings. He does so not as the powerful general and conqueror. He does so uh, not as one who is even an adult. But he enters as a baby, helpless, vulnerable, born into poverty, experiencing humanity. John talks about this in his gospel, where he says in the 14th verse of the first chapter, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Paul carries on this theme, if you will, in the book of Philippians in the second chapter and in the sixth verse where he says, speaking of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't say, I'm going to use this to my advantage. The power, I'm going to use it to my advantage. No, he didn't do that at all. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, in essence, what happens is Christ embodied humanity in order to enter and save humanity. Christ embodied humanity in order to enter and save and relate to and experience humanity. Let's move on. My first point, Emmanuel, God with us, past. My second point, Emmanuel, God with us, present. Emmanuel, God with us, present. We experience Christ as Emmanuel, God with us, when we receive him into our hearts as Savior. Christ becomes present in our lives now, at this point, as we receive him in. Paul speaks of this in Romans when we look at the 8th chapter and the 11th verse. And he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, your mortal, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Christ is no longer present among us. He is present within us. At salvation, Christ becomes Emmanuel, 
God with us, present now in our lives. What a concept. What a concept. Let me illustrate this concept with you if I could. Would that be all right? Is it okay? What do you see before you? What is, what is that picture on the screen that you see? Pills, pills. They're kind of dumped out on a table, right? Those are pills. Well, as a doctor, I have a little experience with pills. Let me share with you a very, very common situation that I have faced over the last, over the last uh, 30, 35 years that I've been practicing medicine. It's not unusual that a gentleman, and I'll call him Joe, will come in to see me. Joe's 55 years old. He comes in to see me for his annual physical. What that means is I check him out from head to toe, and I'm going to do some blood work. Okay, you get the picture. So Joe comes in to see me. How you doing, doc? You're doing, oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Joe? Hey, I feel great. Hey, Joe, look, at I got your blood work done. I examined you. I got some good news and some bad news. Oh, doc, okay, I'll take the good news first. The good news is your physical exam turned out great. Physical exam turned out great. Here's the bad news. I checked your cholesterol, Joe, and your cholesterol should be 200, Joe, but your cholesterol is 275. Now, Joe, given your family history of heart disease, the fact that your dad died of a heart attack at 56, and you're 55, and your cholesterol is 275, we got some work to do. We got to lower your cholesterol, decrease your risk of heart attack, stroke, and cardiovascular disease. Got it? Joe says, got it, doc. Okay, let's try diet and exercise. Okay, let's do diet and exercise. So Joe leaves the office, starts exercising, gets on a good low cholesterol diet, comes back in and sees me six months later. I draw his blood work, and you know what? His cholesterol went from 275 to 276. Whoa, Joe, I know you're on a good diet. I know you're exercising, but Joe, it's probably genetic. It's probably genetic. It probably runs in your family. It's genetic. That's why, you know, you can, you can eat carrots and celery and rice cakes from now till the day cows come home. I don't think it's going to lower your cholesterol. I think you're going to need some medication. Joe reluctantly says, okay, doc, I'll take the medication. No problem. I write out the prescription, send it to the pharmacy. Joe goes to the pharmacy, picks up the bottle of prescription. Are you with me so far? All right. Joe gets the prescription. Six months later, Joe comes to the office. Do the blood work, check him out. Joe, how you doing? I feel great, doc. That's great, Joe. Hey, Joe, let's talk about your blood work. Last time, before you started medication, your cholesterol was 275. Now you started medication, Joe, and you know what? Your cholesterol is 285. Joe, what happened? I don't know, doc, I got the pills. Joe, you got the, Joe? Joe, Joe, you got the pills? Oh yeah, doc, I got the pills. Joe, did you take the pills? Well, no, I didn't take the pills. Here's my point. Joe can go to the pharmacy, get the bottle of pills. Joe's got the bottle of pills. Joe walks around with the bottle of pills. Six months, he's holding the bottle of pills. As a matter of fact, midway through the six months, Joe says, you know what? Doc said those pills are going to help my heart. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take those pills in a bottle, and I'm going to put them in my left pocket of my shirt, because that's close to my heart. I'm going to put the pills inside my heart. And Joe walks around. He's got the bottle of pills in his heart, right in front of his heart, in his left pocket. For six months, Joe walks around like that. Joe comes and has his blood work taken. He comes in my office. Guess what happened to his cholesterol? Nothing. Why? Joe didn't take the pills into his mouth, swallow the pill, go into his gut, absorbed by the villi of his small intestine, take it through the portal system to his liver where the hepatocytes metabolize the pill and lower his cholesterol. Doesn't happen. He doesn't swallow the pill. 
You get my point? Brothers and sisters at New Story, Christ's presence, with, Christ's presence is with us, around us, with us now. Online, wherever you are, Christ's presence is with you, with you right now. But just as Joe did not take the pill and swallow it and let it come into his life and start working within his life to help his cholesterol, so even though Christ's presence is with us, his omnipresence over the face of the earth, unless you ask him into your heart and into your life, there will be no change. You will be the same. It's only when we ask him into our heart and into our mind and into our life that we can experience Emmanuel, God with us, present in our lives. Do you remember the day of your salvation? I do. I was in the sixth grade. I've gone to church my whole life in the sixth grade. One of my buddies who we used to play, we played street hockey all the time. The Sabres were just getting started in Buffalo. But we played street hockey. And I remember one of my friends, Daryl Reed was his name. Daryl invited me and a bunch of buddies in the neighborhood to go play street hockey downtown. Sure, we'll play street hockey with her. No problem, Daryl. We all went downtown. Some of the old timers in the audience will remember this. We went to Pearl and Tupper. You know what's at Pearl and Tupper? Buffalo Christian Center. We went there. Building's still there. It's under different management. Building's still there. We went there. We played street hockey. We did some bowling. We did some roller skating. We played foosball. And then we went into a room where it got real quiet. And I went to church my whole life, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but I never remember hearing the gospel message like I heard that day at the Buffalo Christian Center. It made sense. It clicked. I received Jesus into my heart. has been changed ever since. If you're in Christ this holiday season, ponder on what it means to have the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life, the king of kings and lord of lords living within you. Awesome thought. And if you're not in Christ, this holiday season, ask yourself a question. Do I desire to have the creator and sustainer of this earth, or the king of kings and lord of lords, the one who is the lover of my soul, enter and come into my heart and come into my life. If so, do that this holiday season. No, no do that today. No, no, do that right now. Ask him, Lord Jesus, enter my heart, I pray, in your name. If you would pray that prayer or desire to pray that prayer, Talk to Kim, talk to Daryl Ann, talk to Scott, talk to myself, talk to Neil, talk to Lindsay, go to the black tables. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Let's move on. My first point, Emmanuel, God with us, past. Don't put the slide up yet. We're going to test people. <laughs> Emmanuel, God with us, present. Emmanuel, God with us. Ah, yes. Emmanuel, God with us, future. 
The next time the world will experience the presence of Christ as Emmanuel, God with us, will take place at his second coming. Paul speaks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. What a thought. God with us, us with him. Eternity. From now till eternity future. Ever present with him. This is also highlighted by the Apostle John in the last book of the Bible the second last chapter, which is the 21st chapter of Revelation. John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is your spirit heavy this morning? Are there problems that you're facing? Problems so difficult that you don't even want to speak. He will wipe away away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Are, Are you experiencing pain? Physical pain. Psychological pain. Spiritual pain. Wiped away. For the old order of things has passed away. For me as a physician who's dedicated my life to assisting patients to be healed and well, this verse gives me hope. No more pain. No more sickness. New heaven, new earth. What a new story. What a new story. New heaven, new earth. The sins will pass away. Just just camp on that thought. Just, Just please, for a few seconds, just think about that. No more sins pass away. No more sickness. No more death. No more hate. No more social injustice. Poverty. Slavery. Bigotry. Pride. Selfishness. Self centeredness. Abuse. Child pornography. The sewage which flows through our society will no longer exist. It flows through our hearts. It'll no longer exist. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. His goodness, his righteousness, his mercy. We will be together with him. Emmanuel, God with us. And us with him. God and his presence is among us, but it must also be within us. Let me illustrate that with one last story. It's a personal story. Some of you know this. Some of you do not. Daryl Ann and I have a wonderful daughter, Rachel. And uh, Rachel is our firstborn. And When Rachel graduated from Houghton College, Rachel worked in our office at Primary Care Western New York, 
for about two years. God bless her. She hated working in our office. <laughs> At the end of two years, finally, thank God, the Lord spoke to her and said, Rachel, I'd like you to serve me as a missionary to Mexico City. She came to us and we affirmed it. Rachel, that's the Lord. He's calling you to Mexico City. You need to pursue his calling on your life. Rachel left and worked in Mexico City with an ministry called Operation Serve, working with the pepinadores, the garbage pickers who lived in the garbage of Mexico City. I shared about it a few messages back. Well, Rachel would lead teams, medical and dental teams, uh, such as Daryl and I and others who would go down. Um, Gary and Rosemary were with us uh, on a team, and Rachel would lead that team. But when we didn't have teams, Rachel and a group of the Mexican uh, believers uh, affiliated with the ministry would start do having classes that would teach English as a second language. And they would teach English as a second language to at churches where groups of Christians would want to learn English. And we say, well, why would they want to learn English? And the reason is because if they learned English and could even become bilingual, they could have a better job. They had opportunity for advancement within their job. So it would raise their socioeconomic status. It was a great idea. So Rachel and a group of people started teaching classes, English as a second language at different churches. And it was going great. And then one day, Rachel was in one of the churches teaching English as a second language, when all of a sudden, a young man came in, and he entered the class, and he pulled out a gun, and he started waving it around at the people in the class. And then he leveled his gun at Rachel. She said, Dad, at that moment, I felt I was in the presence of God. God's presence was so real to me. And the thought came to me, if he pulls the trigger, I'm going to be in the presence of God. Dad, I felt the presence of God with me at that moment, that life or death moment. And if he pulls the trigger, I'm going to be in the presence of God. That's what it means to walk in the presence of God. He is with us now, around us, and within us. And when we, and when, and when, not if, and when we leave this earth, we will be in the presence of God eternally. Past, present, and future. Emmanuel, God with us. Last thought. Look at this picture. Maybe some of you have a Christmas tree. Maybe some of you have some presents underneath the Christmas tree. Probably in the next week or so, you'll either be giving or receiving gifts because of Christmas. Here's my question. What is the most significant present that you can give this holiday season? What is the most significant present that you can give this holiday season? Think about that. Oh, I don't know, Dave, why, why, why should we think about that? Why? Why should we think about that? You see, because giving a gift or a present of significance reflects the nature of God. Bear with me for a second. Think of the scripture, John 3.16. 
John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he. Not enough. For God so loved the world that he. And what did he give? He gave designer jeans. He gave an Xbox. He gave an iPad. He gave all those electronics that I know nothing about. <laughs> he loved the world so much that he gave his son. He gave his son who was present in the Trinity. To condescend means leave heaven, enter earth, enter earth as a king, enter earth as a CEO of a company, enter earth as a general, enter earth as a baby, born in poverty to a couple who was socially disgraced because she was pregnant before getting married, to live a life that was destined for one thing, one thing, his death on the cross for you and for me. God so loved the world that he gave. Ask yourself two questions. How can I increase my awareness of God's presence in my life? How can I do that this holiday season? How can I increase his, my awareness how can I bring God's presence to the lives of others? Two very important questions. Why? Because giving a present or a gift of significance reflects God's nature. Giving a gift or a present of significance reflects God's nature. Therefore, together, let's commit to giving gifts of significance. Emmanuel, God with us, past, present, and future. Consider giving these two gifts this year. First, give a gift to yourself. Give a gift to yourself. Not only do you deserve it, but you need it. Give a gift to yourself. Increase your awareness of God's presence in your life. It's the greatest gift you can give to yourself. You need that. You need that. Secondly, give a gift to another person. Bring God's presence to others by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. It's the greatest and most significant gift that you can give. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desire to reflect your nature. We desire to do things with significance. We, we want our lives to count. Lord, you can make that happen. Whether we've accepted you into our heart before or we have yet to do it, at this moment, everyone, oh God, who hears my voice, whether it's in this auditorium or online, we open our hearts to you. We say, Lord Jesus, enter our hearts that you might change us eternally from the inside out.
We desire your presence now, Lord, because quite frankly, life is tough. We're facing difficulties, challenges, hardships, fractured relationships, broken families, difficulties that are even too hard to verbalize. And so at this time, Lord, enter our lives that we might receive your presence, that we might change, and that you might give to us, Lord, good gifts for our benefit and for your glory. For our benefit and for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.